Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. What is the last loss you marked? I invite you to take a breath, to slow down, and to remember. Who died? How did you respond? How did others respond? Was there an obituary? Was there a memorial service? Was there music or readings to honor this person? Did people gather? Was there a burial, a distribution of ashes? Did you share a meal with loved ones or light candles together? What do we do here at Arlington Street when someone in our community dies? Many of us have gotten a call or a visit from Reverend Kim when we are grieving. We have held memorial services where we share memories, music, readings, and food as we hold each other and honor our loved one. We have given flowers at the start of a service and we have lit candles of sorrow. We have called out presente in their memory. Loss is painful. When it is certain, when a person dies, our culture has many ways of acknowledging this loss and tending to it. Ambiguous losses are not as clear to understand or to respond to. The term ambiguous loss was coined by family therapist and psychologist, Dr. Pauline Boss, it refers to a loss where there is a lack of information or closure or resolution. Sometimes this loss is about a physical absence but a psychological presence. Sometimes it is about a physical presence but a psychological absence. And sometimes this is a loss that can't be easily categorized but it's steeped in ambiguity. Dr. Boss's initial research was done in collaboration with the military. She studied the experiences of military families whose loved ones were missing in action. They were physically absent, but without a body and without certainty, they were psychologically present. These families experienced their loved one as gone, but there was no proof of death. There was no body to bury and no way to ever be sure. Charles was one of these soldiers. Charles was drafted in the Vietnam War and wrote letters to his parents and his sister Beth until the letters stopped. Charles was deemed missing in action. A body was never found and he was presumed dead. 
It was awful, his sister Beth said. We had no grave to go to and I could never stop looking for him. Every time the phone rang, every time I got mail, every time someone rang the doorbell, I thought it could be him. Many people are affected by a loved one who is physically present, but psychologically absent. I work as a hospital chaplain, and whenever I share stories of my work from the pulpit, I change the details to maintain confidentiality. A patient that I'm gonna call Dottie was hospitalized, and I spent time getting to know her daughter, Elizabeth, who came every day to visit. Dottie lived with Alzheimer's, and as her disease progressed, Elizabeth became her caregiver. One day, Elizabeth arrived much later than usual and seemed upset. How are you doing? I asked. One of my closest friends' dad died, and the funeral was this morning. I'm very sorry for your loss and for your friends, I said. Thanks, Elizabeth said, starting to cry. I'm sorry, would you believe I'm jealous? My friend's dad died and we had this beautiful service where so many showed up to honor him and to support her and I'm jealous. My mom is still alive, I'm a terrible person. I took in the magnitude of Elizabeth's grief and pain. Would you be willing to tell me more about the parts of your mom that you've lost? I asked. I listened as Elizabeth talked about how she used to call her mom on her drive home from work, but now Dottie can't manage by phone. Dottie had been an incredible cook and she loved to cook with Elizabeth and later with Elizabeth's children. But now it isn't safe for Dottie to use the stove and she doesn't seem to want to cook anyways. Dottie is still able to sing beautifully, but she no longer shows interest in watching the musicals she had once loved to watch with her family. I feel guilty for being so sad, Elizabeth said. My mom isn't dead, she's still here, but I feel such sadness. There is so much loss even while she is living. I said to her quietly. There are many ambiguous losses that can't be easily categorized, but anguish without recognition or resolution. The last couple of weeks have brought an increase in COVID infection numbers. Did the headlines bring back any memories or fears? Do you still experience the impact of the pandemic? I know I do. I worked on COVID ICUs for years and continue to feel the impact of this work. I remember being 29 years old and being advised to write an advanced directive in case I got sick and needed life support. As I tried to decide how long I would want to be on a ventilator and who I would want to make that decision for me, I lost my sense of safety. I remember losing eight patients to COVID in one day. As I held their hands and saw their faces and talked to their loved ones, I lost my feeling of fitting in among my peers. 
There was no end, no completely universal experience of this time. But for the first two years, the hospital where I worked marked the anniversary of our first COVID patient. This year, when March came around, there was no recognition. And suddenly I felt completely alone and sad and angry and then guilty for feeling so upset. We lit a candle of sorrow last week to acknowledge Laura Ann Carlton's death after she was murdered for displaying a pride flag at her California shop. A few weeks ago, I talked to a colleague that I'll call Maggie about this terrifying act of hate. Maggie and her wife, Jen, proudly display a pride flag at their house and they have taught their sons about what this flag means and why it is important. How do you keep going after things like this? I asked Maggie. It's really hard to keep going when our right to exist here is threatened over and over, she said, when being able to just have a normal existence is lost. Thank God for the someday group. We'll come back to this. The list of ambiguous losses is huge. Maybe something about your experience resonates from those four stories, but maybe not. Ambiguous loss can include a physically missing person, an emotionally unavailable person, a natural disaster, war, divorce, adoption, abortion, trauma, mental illness, physical illness, a breakup, the end of a friendship, moving, immigration, racism, sexism, heterosexism, food insecurity, financial insecurity, kids moving out, losing a job, abuse, pandemic, loss of milestones, violence, loss of freedom, aging, infertility, addiction, and so much more. With a list so extensive, it is safe to assume that all of us have experienced at least some ambiguous losses. So what do we do? Dr. Boss's 40 years of research and clinical work have borne these suggestions for tending to our ambiguous losses. Number one, accept the loss. Our culture is a mastery culture and we so badly want resolution. It often comes from a good place. We don't want ourselves or others to feel pain. But when it comes to ambiguous loss, we can't just get over it. Number two, name the loss. We, tend, we can't tend to something without naming it. Name the loss as an ambiguous loss worthy of care. When Dr. Boss was brought in to care for World Trade Center workers in the wake of 9-11, she started each conversation with this. What you experience is ambiguous loss because your loved ones are missing. This is the most difficult and stressful loss there is, 
but it is not your fault. Number three, release yourself from guilt. This is not your fault. Number four, recognize that the situation is crazy. You are not crazy. Situations of ambiguous loss are illogical, chaotic and unbelievably painful situations and your feelings are in response to that. Normalize sadness. Number five, consider the multiple truths that can be true at once. This is really the only honest response. Your alcoholic father is physically here, but right now he might not emotionally be here. Your brother with a traumatic brain injury is alive and he is your brother, but parts of him that you have loved and connected with are no longer here. Number six, ask each other about the losses. This is a way we can help each other. How long has it been? What does this mean for you? This validates the loss and helps you understand what the other needs. And the last thing that Dr. Boss rec recommends, mark the loss. Rituals, memorials, talking about it, these are all incredibly important when we are grieving. Our culture rarely has these built-in for ambiguous losses, so we need to create them for ourselves and for one another. Accept the loss, name the loss, release yourself from guilt, recognize the situation is crazy, you are not crazy. Consider the multiple truths that are true at once, ask each other, about the losses and mark these losses. Let's return to our stories. Charles was our missing in action soldier and Beth, his grieving sister. The Vietnam Memorial was built in Washington in the 1980s and that affected me more than I could have ever anticipated. Charles's name was on that memorial, marked with a little cross to show that he is missing in action. There are many little crosses all along the memorial. He is not alone. I am not alone. Other families know this pain. It had felt like I was the only one. And seeing his name on this memorial, it's like the world sees him. The world sees me and my family there is a place for him. Marking the loss is important. For Beth, she was able to mark her ambiguous loss of her brother with the Vietnam Memorial. Elizabeth was grieving her mom's many losses to Alzheimer's disease, but felt she didn't have the right to grieve or be sad because her mom was physically alive. After Elizabeth was able to tell me about the losses, she said she felt much better. I encouraged her to talk to her friends, to be honest about her grief. Elizabeth started telling her close friends about the death she has experienced, the death of her mom's phone calls, the death of her mom's cooking, the death of her mom's musicals, and her friends extended their love and their sympathy there was a space for her. 
Naming the loss, releasing yourself from guilt, and talking about the losses are important steps in coping with ambiguous loss. It was March of 2023 and I was struggling with our hospital not marking the COVID anniversary for the first time. The absence made me feel like my grief didn't matter. I talked with colleagues and realized I wasn't alone. The music therapy manager and child life director and I got together to organize a COVID anniversary session for our teams. I offered a blessing, Susan sang the song her hospital had played when COVID patients discharged, and Andrea read a child's poem about their experience of the pandemic. We decorated COVID candles with stickers and glitter and paint, inviting each colleague to take their candle home or light their candle when they feel the pandemic within or around them. When I feel unsafe, I light my candle. When I think about one of my patients who died from the virus, I light my candle. When I feel like I don't fit in, I light my candle. I keep living and working and adapting, and I light the candle when I need to. Marking the loss and recognizing multiple truths helps me tend to my own ambiguous loss. And lastly, in talking about Laura's murder, the woman who owned the shop. Maggie told me that she was grateful for her somewhere group. I learned that Maggie and her wife Jen gather with their queer friends every other month. They sit down and they talk about the ways they feel unsafe or unseen. They talk about their longings and their dreams and they always close their circle with the song Somewhere from West Side Story. The chorus of this song is, there's a place for us, somewhere a place for us. Time together with time to spare, time to look, time to care. Ritualizing and marking and connecting help Maggie and Jen cope with their loss of safety. I invite you to take a few moments and to let Charles and Beth, Elizabeth and Dottie, me and my colleagues, and Maggie, Jen, and their group fade from your mind. What ambiguous losses live in your heart? With these on your mind and in your heart, I offer you these truths. Your loss is real. It can't be forced away. This is ambiguous loss. There is a name for it. This is not your fault. The situation is crazy. You are not crazy. There is no one answer. Many things are true at once, and that can be confusing. What happened and what it means to you matters. Your loss deserves to be marked and tended to. I invite you to tend deeply to yourself in your ambiguous losses and to tend to others in their ambiguous losses. 
what is difficult to describe is no less real and no less important. May our principle of believing in our inherent worth and dignity extend to all that can't be resolved, for there is so much of it. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. A blessing for all that is ambiguous. Bless all hearts that hurt with grief. In a world that looks to fix, bless the stillness. In a world that looks to define, bless what is beyond words. In a world that looks to blame, bless the acceptance. In a world that looks to go numb, bless the feeling. In a world that struggles with what is ambiguous, bless the you, bless the me, bless the them, bless the us, bless our loving, hurting hearts, let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. Amen. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.